We hope you like this Resurrection Oakland Church podcast. Unauthorized use of any part of this copyrighted material for redistribution or duplication is not permitted without prior consent from Resurrection Oakland Church. To learn more about our church and its charity and mission work in and around Oakland, California, please visit our website at www.resoakland.com. A reading from Proverbs chapter 1 and 2. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young, let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance, for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can take your seats. Let's take just a moment to pray together. Uh, God, as we sang earlier, that you are a God whose goodness is running after us. And we praise you this morning that you are a God who pursues us that we're here because you have brought us here and because you are pursuing us and because you love us and because you have words of life for us. And I pray that you would give us ears to hear this morning the words that you want to speak to us. God, our lives are so complex. They're so different We come into this room with so many different situations and circumstances this morning. Some of us come battling things that we feel like we will never overcome. God, some of us come with tears and with sorrow that keep us awake all night. Some of us come full of despair, depression, anxiety. God, we are all over the map. But we need you to speak into our life. We need the words of life that you alone have. And so we pray that you would come and do that this morning. Speak to us in such a way that our lives would be changed. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning again. We are starting a new series today on the book of Proverbs. I'm really excited about this series. The book of Proverbs is a book about wisdom. And uh, wisdom is something that we all need including me. And uh, I, uh, after finishing college, uh, I spent almost four years uh, in seminary studying and training to be a pastor. And I sort of laugh when I think about uh, the master, the title of the master's degree that you get when you, when you go to seminary. It's called a master's of divinity. So you go to school for four years and they give you a certificate that says you have mastered God. You, you know everything there is to know 
about God. And uh, that's, that's kind of a joke because let me tell you, not only do I have a lot to learn about God, I've got a lot to learn about life. I need wisdom. And I can feel my wife nodding her head in agreement somewhere in this room. I can just feel it. Um, we all need wisdom. Every single one of us in this room needs wisdom, and we need it in all sorts of ways in our life. We need it in our relationships. We need it in our finances. We need it in our singleness. We need it in our marriages. We need it in our parenting. We need it. Uh, we need it. Some of us, we are facing big decisions in life right now, and we, we have this acute need of our sense of wisdom, our, our need for wisdom. Now, whenever we start a new series, I, I kind of always feel the need to convince you why you need to listen to this why it's important, especially if you're, if you're new to our church or maybe you're here this morning and you're just exploring Christianity, you're, you would not yet identify as a Christian, and church is kind of relatively new for you, and so you're here saying, what, what does this have to do with my life? Why should I listen to this? And so to kind of make my case to you this morning, I want to I uh, appeal to a, a great modern-day philosopher I think we have it on the screen. Yes, Taylor Swift. <laughs> Taylor Swift. I'm really hurt that no one invited their pastor to come with them to the Taylor Swift concert that happened the last two nights. Um, feel personally offended by that. Um, Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift sings this. She says, I should not be left to my own devices. They come with prices and vices and I end up in crisis. Some of you were hoping I would sing that, but I'm going to disappoint you, just as you disappointed me by not inviting me to that concert. See, wisdom's a big deal. And in fact, Proverbs, over and over and over again, Proverbs says that we can take her off the screen. That'll be really distracting. Proverbs says that wisdom is a matter of life and death. That's what Proverbs says. It says if you don't get wisdom in your life, your life will be a train wreck. In fact, Proverbs chapter 3 says that wisdom, get this, is more precious than jewels. It is more valuable than gold or money. Did you know that 70% of the people who win the lottery end up bankrupt. See, we need wisdom. And we don't just sort of need it. We desperately need it. What, what Proverbs is actually saying is we need wisdom more than we need anything else in life. Some of us in this room, we have made decisions that have brought incredible pain and harm into our lives and the lives of people that we love. We, we didn't have wisdom. Uh, some of us, we are so overcommitted in life. We say yes to everything. We don't know how to say no to anything. And we are running ourselves into the ground. We are making an idol out of our work and pleasing people. And we are neglecting our family and our friends and our neighbor. So we need wisdom. Some of us have stayed in relationships that have been incredibly toxic and we don't know how to disentangle. 
Some of us have made financial decisions that have brought just total ruin to our lives. We need wisdom desperately. You, ca- you, cannot, you cannot get through life well without wisdom. And the good news is that right in the middle of the Bible is an entire book on wisdom. Some of you, if you're coming to this room, you say, you know, does the Bible actually have anything to do with my life? Is it of any relevance to my life? <laughs> right in, you need wisdom, and right in the middle of the Bible is an entire book on wisdom. And so what we're going to be doing over the next six weeks is talking about the book, this book and the wisdom that it offers to us. And today, uh, we're going to look at these two sections from the first two chapters of Proverbs, kind of as an introduction to wisdom. And I want to look at three things this morning. We're going to look at the essence of wisdom, the paradox of wisdom, and the beginning of wisdom. Okay, the essence, the paradox, and the beginning. So first, let's talk about the essence of wisdom. What does the Bible mean when it talks about wisdom? You know, we, we, we need to have kind of a working definition for the series, okay? And the problem is, is that the Bible does not give you a definition of wisdom. There's no Bible verse you can turn to that says, wisdom is this, you know, here it is defined. What, what Proverbs does instead is, it doesn't give us a definition, but it does give us synonyms. And the synonyms help us get at it. So look at, look at verse 1 of chapter 1. It says, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom. Okay, well, what is wisdom? Well, look at the synonyms that come right after it. We get words like instruction, insight, prudence, uh, doing what is right and just and fair. That means there's some sort of like ethical quality to wisdom. And then in verse 4, you get words like discretion and guidance. And if you put all these words together, they actually help us kind of get some understanding of what wisdom is. They tell us a couple things about wisdom. The first thing they tell us is that wisdom is more than just knowledge, See, we think a wise person is someone who knows a lot, but these words are telling us that you can know a lot and still be an idiot. (laughs) You can know a lot and still be a fool. You can know a lot and still be unwise. In fact, we kind of know more than we ever have in the history of the world. We have access to more information and knowledge right in our pockets. Everything is a Google search away. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we're wise. Wisdom is more than just knowledge. These words tell us, listen to this, that wisdom is more than just following God's moral commands. Now, it is certainly not less than that. Because, you know, verse 1, or uh, this chapter 1 says that part part of wisdom means doing what is right and just and fair. That means that part of wisdom is recognizing that we live in God's world, and therefore life goes best when we live according to God's ways. See, wisdom is more than knowledge, and it is more than just following commands, and it has to be. Let me tell you why. Because some decisions in life, all, they, all you need to make some decisions in life is knowledge. And you see, for example, this is why when I do my taxes, and I have no clue what I'm doing, I talk to a CPA. I need knowledge that that I don't have, that they have. Some decisions in life only require knowledge. Some decisions in life only require obeying God's commands. For example, if you have a really difficult neighbor and you want to punch them in the face, 
This is an easy one. The Bible's very clear on this. Don't punch your neighbor in the face, okay? Some decisions only require knowledge. Some decisions only require kind of clarity on what does God command. But what about, what about all the decisions we face in life where there are no clear commands telling you what to do? You know, that's probably 80% of life. It's probably 80% of the decisions we make are not decisions between right and wrong or good and bad, but between good and good, and sometimes between good, better, and best. I mean, if you came to me, let me illustrate this for you. If you came to me and you said, I can't decide if I want to be a teacher or a drug dealer, I would say, hey, that's an easy one. You don't need to pray about that. The Bible's really clear on this. But if you came to me and you said, you know, I can't decide if I want to be a teacher or I want to go into tech, what do you need to make that decision? You need wisdom. I love this quote from Bruce Waltke. He's an Old Testament scholar. He wrote this huge commentary on the book of Proverbs. And he says this, in Proverbs, wisdom mainly denotes the skill to navigate through the maze of life. I love that phrase, to navigate through the maze of life so that one conducts one's life to the greatest benefit of oneself and the community. Through wisdom, one is able to read circumstances and interpret situations so as to act correctly, speak properly, and respond appropriately to each situation so that beneficial consequences ensue to self and community. There's two things that I love about this quote. First, he says that wisdom means making decisions in such a way that it causes you to flourish in life. And it causes others around you to flourish in life. And I would add to that definition decisions that honor and glorify God in your life. That's what wisdom is. The second thing I love about this quote is he says that wisdom is a skill that we need to navigate through the maze of life. Now, don't you think about that. Life is a maze. Don't you feel that? Don't you feel like most days you are kind of swimming in this labyrinth of decisions that you have to make? Hundreds of decisions. And there's no Bible verse you can open and says, this is what you should do. There's no clear command. There's no direct path. You know, your, your child has some sort of learning or behavioral challenge. And you've talked to all these doctors and professionals, and you've gotten all these suggestions on here's the, here's the path you should go, and which do you choose? You know, or maybe, maybe it's questions like, should I, Oakland is really hard right now. The city's really broken. Should I stay? Or should I move? You know, there are so many decisions. Where should I go to college? What major should I choose? What career path should I choose? Should I stay in my current job? Or should I go find another one? You know, one that will let me work remotely 100% of the time. You know, should I stay in my current job? Or should I go find another one? Should I marry this person? How should I spend my money? Should I save more than I am? Should I, should I take this risk, you know, that's in front of me? See, 
Life is a maze. Now, what we so often want is we want a map. (laughs) We want God to say, when you get here, turn this way. We want a rule. But instead, what God gives us is a compass. See, we want a map. God gives us a compass. God gives us a compass because life is far too complex, it is far too messy, and it is far too gray for a map. God gives us a compass, listen to this, because God is far more concerned in you becoming a wise person and learning how to make wise decisions rather than just telling you exactly what to do in every situation that you find yourself in. And this is why so many people read Proverbs wrong. They read it like a map. They read it like a rule book. They they read it like it is telling us what to do in every single situation. But Proverbs is like a compass. Let me give you just a great example of this. In Proverbs chapter 26, verse 4, it says, Do not, do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. That's kind of a nice proverb. But look at the very next proverb. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. Don't answer a fool according to his folly. Answer a fool according to his folly. Which is it? It depends. Depends. It depends on the situation. Well, how do you know when to do what? Wisdom. Wisdom is more than knowledge, and it is more than just following God's commands. Here's kind of the definition I want us to have in this series. Wisdom is the skill to navigate through the maze of life so that you make decisions that glorify God and cause you and others around you to flourish in life. That's the essence of it. Let's talk about the paradox, because there is a real paradox in these verses that we're looking in this morning. On the one hand, wisdom is a gift. So if you look at the very last verse printed there for you in the worship guide, it says that the Lord gives wisdom, that from his mouth come knowledge. So wisdom comes from God. God gives wisdom to us, which means we are not wise in and of ourselves. This is actually the first step to becoming a wise person is realizing that you are not wise in and of yourself. So there's this, but wisdom is a gift. And, you know, there's this really interesting place in 1 Kings chapter 3 where God comes to Solomon, who's the king, who actually wrote Proverbs, and God says to Solomon, ask me for whatever you want. Ask me for whatever you want. And you know what Solomon asked God for? He asked God for wisdom. And it says that God is pleased. He's pleased with Solomon and he gives it to him. Now, in Genesis chapter 3, in the Garden of Eden, it says this. It says, when Eve saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. Now, isn't that interesting? Solomon asked God for wisdom, and God is pleased. Adam and Eve wisdom, and God curses them, and the whole world has been ruined ever since. So, like, what's, what is going on here? What's the difference? And the difference is this, is that one takes wisdom. That's the language of Genesis. 
She saw that it was desirable for gaining wisdom, and they took. But Solomon asked for wisdom. See, Adam and Eve saw that the tree was good for wisdom, and so they took some and they ate it. That means that they did what was wise in their own eyes. But Solomon says to God, God, I don't know what I need, and I don't know what I don't need. But I do know that I need wisdom, and I'm asking you for it. How do you get wisdom? You do not get it. You don't attain it by your own instincts. God gives it to us. So on the one hand, here's the paradox. Wisdom is a gift. But on the other hand, wisdom is something you have to pursue. You have to seek after. Look at uh, verses 1 through 5 of that second uh, paragraph again. This is chapter 2. It says, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and you cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and you search for it as for hidden treasure, listen to those verbs, call out, cry aloud, look for it, search for it. Do you hear how active that is? It's a gift, but we are not passive in the process of getting wisdom. We are called to work for it, to search for it, to look for it. And this is the paradox of wisdom. It's a gift. God gives it to us. And yet God says, work for it. It's a lot like if you were here, we just finished a a series on the fruit of the Spirit. And we said two things, you know, that the, the, the paradox of the fruit of the Spirit is that God works and we work. God works and he cultivates a life of love and joy and peace and hope and patience in us. And we are called to work for it by his grace and through the power of his spirit as well. That's the paradox of wisdom. And I want you to think about how wise the paradox is in and of itself. If if wisdom were all up to God, we would have no incentive to do anything. But if it were all up to us, we would have no assurance that we could actually ever get wisdom. But it is both. It is both. And the paradox helps us to look to God for wisdom, and at the same time, it helps us to work for it. And the question you ought to be asking this morning is, okay, well, how? Tell me how. What are the steps that I can take to look for wisdom in my life? Because I need it. (laughs) And I want to give you three very practical steps this morning. Here's the first. Three ways to pursue wisdom. Number one, seek God in prayer. One of the marks of a wise person is that they pray a lot. They pray a lot. You know, if you're like me and you often struggle to pray, then maybe you can relate to what I'm about to say. I find that often in life, I tend to make decisions And then I ask God to bless the decisions that I've made. (laughs) Decisions about money, decisions about family, decisions about kids, whatever it is. Decisions about how I spend my time. We tend to make decisions and then we ask God to bless the decisions that we've made. Wisdom does not do that. Wisdom starts by coming to God in prayer and saying, God, help me. Show me. Speak to me, which actually brings us to the second step. 
which is immersing yourself in God's word. See, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, one of, one of the most well-known Proverbs actually says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him or submit to him is actually the language. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Culture says, lean on yourself. Submit everything else to your own understanding, including the Bible. But Proverbs actually says, no, 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 don't lean on yourself, lean on God and submit all of your understanding to him. You know what that looks like? It looks like coming to God's word and saying, God, you are over me. I am not over you. We are not peers. Your word is an authority in my life. Teach me. Lead me, show me, guide me. There will be times in your life when you open the Bible and there's a very clear law, a very clear rule that will give you the wisdom you're seeking. But the Bible can also guide you in all of your ways when there is no specific verse for every life situation because as you immerse yourself in God's word and in God's presence... And through prayer and through an openness to the Holy Spirit, you know what happens? You begin to grow in wisdom. You grow in discernment. You grow in confidence that God is leading you even when you're not quite sure which way to take. And you grow in confidence that God is shaping you into a wise person. Immerse yourself in God's word. Here's the last thing. Live in God's community. Live in God's community. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15 says this. The way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. The main definition of a fool, the Bible actually, the Proverbs gives us a really clear definition of a fool. It says that a fool is someone who is wise in his own eyes. What does that mean? It means that you don't think you need the counsel of others. It means that you think that you are always right and other people are always wrong. It means that you are not open to correction and challenge from other, people's, other people. It means that you're very touchy and defensive when you're criticized. See, a fool is someone who is wise in their own eyes, but the wise person is someone who sees things through as many eyes as possible. Not only through God's eyes, but through the eyes of others around you through the eyes of friends and counselors and mentors, and not just people who are like you, but people who are actually unlike you, people from other races and classes and even political viewpoints. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine learning something from someone who disagrees with you politically? Wise people do. And this is so countercultural, by the way, because culture says, you know, you should not care what other people think about you. But the, here's the problem. The problem is that other people often see us better than we see ourselves. I'll give you a very simple example. Have you ever heard yourself on a recording? And you thought, that is not how I sound. And all your friends are like, that is exactly how you sound. 
Our friends, see, other people see us better than we see ourselves. Here's what that means. It means you cannot be a wise person when you do life alone. Wisdom only comes when you are living in community. When you are in relationship with other people who can actually point out your blind spots. Or who can say, you know, have you thought about it from this angle? Or, you know, I I don't think this is a very wise decision, a very wise path that you're going down. Or, you know, you're telling me that spoke to you and is so clear and this is what you should do, but let me just tell you, this is going to end in a cul-de-sac of disaster. Don't do this. How how do you seek wisdom? (laughs) You seek God in prayer. You immerse yourself in God's word. You live in God's community. And just kind of one last little thing to sum all of this up. You have to do all of these things over the course of a lifetime. Friends, getting wisdom is not a sprint. It is a marathon. It, It is a process. It takes years to produce. It doesn't just come as you acquire information. It comes through years of experience and wrestling and reflection and walking with God and others in community. Here's the last point is the beginning of wisdom. Let's talk about the beginning of wisdom. Um, This is really important because some of you like to-do lists and you're like, okay, I've got my three things. I'm good. We can just pray. You know, in this, it's, we've been going for a little while now. I'm getting hungry. Uh, we should just end. No, no, no. Uh, you could do all three of the things we just talked about. And if you miss the beginning of wisdom, you miss wisdom entirely. Because what verse 7 of chapter 1 says is this. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Now there, let's talk about the fear of the Lord because there is a lot of confusion about that phrase. There's a lot of confusion actually both outside the church and inside the church. There's a lot of confusion outside the church because you know one of the main reasons so many people have rejected Christianity is because they think it operates on the basis of fear. They think that God is vengeful and they think that God is hateful. And one of the reasons they think this is because how people who proclaim Jesus have acted. We need to be honest about this. The Bible has been used to justify hatred of other races. It's called slavery. It's been used to justify the hatred of other classes, the hatred of other genders, the hatred of sexual minorities. And this is why so many people outside the church want nothing to do with God. But there's also a lot of confusion about the fear of the Lord inside the church. See, how do we, how do we reconcile this command to fear the Lord with the most repeated command in the Bible, which is do not be afraid? You know, this is what God says more than anything else in the Bible. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. How do we reconcile the fear of the Lord with verses like 1 John chapter 4, where it says that perfect love casts out fear? 
Some of you here today, you, you grew up in Christian circles that made God out to seem like a cosmic policeman who was just waiting for you to mess up. You, you grew up in Christian circles that taught that God is always mad at you and he is always disappointed with you. And so whenever life takes a turn, whenever suffering comes, whenever things don't go the way that you had hoped, your first instinct is that God is judging you. And some of you, the, we, this is how we think God is. We think God is, is, is kind of angry and hateful and vengeful. And so what do we do? Some of us, you know what we do? We work really hard to become very religious and very moral and to obey all of the rules. You see, but deep down, we have the same posture towards God as those outside the church because you really don't want much of anything to do with God. Oh, you comply, you comply with God, but you don't want to get close to God. Now, whenever the Bible talks about the fear of the Lord, please hear, if you hear nothing else I say this morning, hear this. Whenever the Bible talks about the fear of the Lord, it is talking about something entirely different. And we could spend a whole sermon on this. We probably do need a whole sermon on the fear of the Lord. But we've got time for me to just show you one verse. Okay? Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to Him, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees I am giving you today for your own good. I want you to notice these two words, fear and love. I've got them in all caps for you. Fear and love. See, we think fearing God and hating God go together. This is what I just tried to show you. We do this inside the church and outside the church. We think that fearing God and hating God go together. But this passage puts fear and love together, not fear and hate. It puts fearing God and loving God together. Now, how does that work? Well, this verse, it comes right after God has delivered Israel from Egypt. And God is saying to his people, I love you. I rescued you. And now I want you to love me. I want you to follow me, obey me, serve me, listen to me with all of your heart and with all of your soul, with everything in you. God is saying, I want you to make me the center of your life. And you see, that is what the fear of the Lord is. Is. The fear of the Lord means that God becomes the center of your life. It means that you see him for who he is. You sense his glory and his greatness. And so what do you do? You start to build your entire life around him. You seek his wisdom. You seek his authority. You seek his direction in every area of your life. And I want you to notice the end of this. God says, I'm giving you this to you today for your own good. That's exactly how we just define wisdom. We said wisdom is navigating life in such a way that we flourish and those around us flourish and that God is worshiped and glorified. Friends, the fear of the Lord is not a fear that induces terror 
and drives you away from God. It is a fear that induces awe and wonder and it drives you to God and it makes you place him at the center of your life. Now here is the million dollar question. The million dollar question is, what is ever going to get you and me to do this? Do you know that placing God at the center of your life is going to be really inconvenient? You know why? Because if God is at the center of your life, guess who's not? You. What's going to get you and me to relinquish that kind of control over our life? What's going to get us to lean on God and not on ourselves? To submit to his understanding and not our own. To trust what is wise and good in his eyes, not what is wise and good in our own eyes. What is going to get us to put him at the center like that? And here's the answer. The only thing that will get you to put him at the center of your life is to see that he has put you at the center of his life. Now, I said earlier that the Bible does not give us a definition of wisdom. It doesn't give us that because it gives us something better than that. It doesn't give us a pithy definition of wisdom. You know what it gives us? It gives us a person. Colossians chapter 2, verse 3. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. Christ Jesus has become for us wisdom from God. That is our holiness, righteousness, and redemption. Friends, when wisdom showed up, it did not show up as a definition. It showed up as a person. And when he came, he did not just come as a wise teacher, but he came as a savior. And that is what this table is all about. The Christian gospel says this, Jesus is more than just a wise teacher. If that's how you come to him, you will never understand him. I, I promise you at the end of the day, you will inevitably be driven away from him because you will find that his teachings are too hard for you. They're too grand that if you know yourself at all, you'll find yourself always falling short and you will become afraid of God and you'll want nothing to do with him or the church. When Jesus came, he did not simply come to give us wise teachings. He came to rescue us and he came to love us. He came to live the life that you and I are supposed to live and he came to die the death that you and I were supposed to die. And though he had infinite wisdom, he was willing to look like a fool on the cross for you and me. Friends, this table, here is what this table is about. This table is not about your love for God. It is about God's love for you. When you come to this table, it is God's way of saying, I love you with all of my heart and with all of my soul, and with everything in me, and I have made you the center of my life, and that is why I came into this world in the person and work of Jesus Christ to do for you what you could never do for yourself. And when you see that, to the degree that you see that, you will be driven to God and not away from him. You will lean on him 
and not on yourself. You will be in awe and wonder of God and all that he has done for you. You'll submit your whole life to him. Your whole life. You'll seek his wisdom in every area of your life. And you will make him the center. On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And after he'd given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he blessed it, saying, this cup represents the new covenant which is shed in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. The New Testament says, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we look to you as our wisdom this morning that if we know ourselves at all, God, there are so many areas in our life where we don't know which way to go and which way to turn. And we are utterly dependent upon you. But what this table says is that you have made yourself available to us. You've made your wisdom available to us. And not just your wisdom, but your love and your presence. And so would you help us this morning as we come to experience that, to know the love of Jesus, whether it is for the first time or the hundredth time or the thousandth time, would you meet us at this table as we come? We need you. We need you more than we even know that we need you. And we thank you that you're a God who loves to give yourself to us. That's what this table proclaims to us. Help us to receive all of that this morning, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.